mostly a summer series that we're doing, but we're going to continue at least for this week, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 12, uh, and the title of our lesson today is called Fearfully Fearless, from Luke chapter 12, verses 4 to 7. If you have your Bibles, join us there. But, of course, before we get there, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have any phobias? And I think I've asked this before, but do you have any phobias, or did you have any phobias growing up that you want to admit out loud? Anything you were scared of, Kevin? You want to... Sharks. Did you encounter a shark, or was it just watching Jaws too much? No, I have no idea. I think that's probably a general fear. I think if a shark was in the water, we'd all be scared of that. Okay, good to know. Well, you only have one more ankle, so maybe that's why. <laughs> Any other phobias out there? Beth, what's your phobia? When I was little? Really? Okay. Uh, That's a lot of... They would drop you where it would, like, blow along the top. Oh, interesting. And it, it, it Why did it scare you, Beth? What, did you yeah. think there was a creature in there? Possibly. Possibly a creature? Know, but it just felt so horrible. Sure. Something and, touching you can't see, right? Yeah, anything under the water is terrifying if you can't see it. Yeah. I heard a comedian say that he reacts the same way if a piece of seaweed touches his foot or if a great white shark is coming after him. He reacts the same way. And also, when I was suicidal, <laughs> if, if I was high yeah. and someone had a lead on me, yeah. I would go pretty deep. Interesting. And touch it, and it would just, you wouldn't know your horizon. Wow. You wouldn't know if you were going straight, back. That is a little terrifying, yeah. And I like I'm scared it, thinking about it. But when I went down without being high, I was yeah. so careful. I never, oh. went, I, I never rolled. Well, Kevin and I were talking about before the sermon, you, you went on a, uh, a water park in Dubai on the highest, scariest water slide that exists. Well, one of, I don't one know of them. still the highest. Okay. They had an open water slide called the Leap of Faith. Yeah. Dubai. Just yeah. the very name yeah, well, means I, mean, I don't I want to go on that. The Leap of Faith. And he went on it and survived. We stopped over in Dubai. I went down it twice. My friend almost died the second time, so I'll Yeah, yeah, don't do that again. <laughs> well, a couple weeks ago, I gave you my top ten strangest phobias. Maybe you guys remember that. Phobias that actually exist that are strange. Today we're going to look at top 10 phobias that should exist. All right, top 10 phobias. And maybe they do. Maybe you can fact check me and say that already exists. But these are top 10 phobias that I believe should exist if they don't already. Here's number 10. See if you can fellowship with these, okay? Top 10 phobias that should exist. Number 10 is the fear of clipping a toenail into your eye. Anyone? Think about that. When you clip a toenail, those things can fly anywhere. No one's figured out how to keep those toenails at bay. And I'm, I'm not only clipping my own toenails, but the toenails of several children. One of these days, it's just going to take my eye out. I'm just going to have a patch over the eye, and that's going to be, that's going to be the reason. And every now and then, it gets close. It hits the eyebrow or the cheek. One of these days, the fear of clipping a toenail into your eye. Here's number nine. Phobias that should exist is the fear of the toilet overflowing. I know we all have that fear to some degree, right? Again, I have a lot of kids. Something's always clogged. Something's always clogged. And we've had that actually happen a couple of times in our house. And that every, every now and then, I just flush the toilet. I have that little flutter in my heart going, is it going to overflow? <laughs> it's the worst when you're not even at your own home. And that happens, right? That's terrifying. That's, that's a pho phobia that should exist. Here's number eight, one that I experienced growing up is the fear of bringing your girlfriend or boyfriend over to meet your parents. Yeah, I, I, I was terrified of that. I love my parents, but 
I was terrified to have my girlfriends meet my parents because now they know who I really am and where I really come from. And that's generally when the girl would break up with me. The the I'm this just teasing. This guy's going to turn out like you. <laughs> I'm teasing. These are jokes. Uh, fear number seven that should exist is the fear of your stomach gurgling in a quiet meeting. Anyone? Anyone ever experienced that? It's pitch, it's perfectly quiet, and all of a sudden that gurgling starts to happen, and everybody's looking at you, and every, I don't know, this picture, I just, I don't know exactly if he is the guy that's gurgling or if he's looking at the person who's gurgling. But either way, that's a, that's a phobia that should exist. Here's number six, is the fear of texting the wrong person something they weren't supposed to hear. Anyone experience this? Now, I will confess, you guys can read that, it's a little bit funny. Let's just read it now. He says, hey, mate, my name's Mario. Just wanted to know if I could come and take a look at the car you have for sale. After 5 p.m. is good for me. When are you available? Cheers. The guy responds, I should be available after 6 tomorrow. He responds again, good night, beautiful. <laughs> Cannot wait to have you in my arms. Love you, miss you. Heaps, XOXO. And the man says in response, look, man, I'm just interested in the car. Uh, anyone ever gone down? Now, every now and then, don't I text you something meant for my wife? And it hasn't gotten totally awkward yet, but one of these days it's going to be something lovey-dovey. And my fear is that he'll respond with something lovey-dovey, and I won't know what to do. Yeah, just keep going. It'll be totally awkward then. The fear of texting the wrong person, something they weren't supposed to hear. Here's number five, is the fear, all parents know what this one's like. The fear of waking the baby up when you step on the squeaky part of the floor. That is terrifying. We finally get the baby down, he's asleep, and then you step on that part of the floor and it goes And the baby starts to move about and it's terrifying. I hate the squeaky floor. Here's number four, fear that maybe I have, maybe you don't have this, is the fear of having BO. That's very specific, but I have that fear. I really don't like body odor. And so I have a fear that I, one day, will have body odor. So I really use a lot of deodorant. I do. I really have a fear that I will smell. I really don't like smells, strong smells. And so I have a fear that someone, I will smell and no one will tell me. And then I'll realize it later. It's a fear. I'm telling you, it's bad. Uh, here's number three, the fear of your spouse. <laughs> Sorry, some of these just crack me more than others. The fear of your spouse walking in on you while you're Googling yourself. Um, so I don't know if you can tell up there, Pastor Todd's sermons are great. Pastor Todd's amazing sermons, Pastor Todd, best pastor ever. I didn't actually do that. I mean, I did for the joke, but I don't think I've actually Googled myself in that many. But sometimes you Google yourself. Pastor Mel, have you ever Googled yourself? I'm afraid what's out there <laughs> about me. So, yeah. so the fear is what you'll find when you Google yourself. Okay, here's number two. Uh, I know you guys all have this one. I do. Every pastor knows that their congregation has this fear. It's the fear of your pastor, pastor asking you to pray in public. Every parishioner or church member has that fear. And some people have admitted that to me. I have a fear that I will ask them on the spot to pray in public. I'll bring them up on stage, kind of like it's a magic act, and ask you to do something that you're not prepared to do. And people have that fear. It's a big-time fear. And here's my number one fear that should exist that's very specific to me is the fear of having your microphone turned on when you start to sing in church, um, especially when you try to hit the high note. I don't have a very good voice, and I've told Jerry ever since I've been here, keep that mic muted. Now, the, my microphone is always on. This is terrifying because it's always on, and I have to trust that back in the sound booth, I'm muted. 
because my mic is hot. It's on. And if that button is not muted, one of these days you're going to hear Pastor Todd sing. It's not going to be pleasant. Uh, those are top ten phobias that should exist. Maybe have your own. We're going to mention another one that's going to help us lead into our lesson today. And this is one that should exist more in the Christian life. And this one's serious. And it is the fear of God. The fear of God. And that's where we're going today. If you have your Bibles, join me in Luke chapter 12. And we're going to read verses 4 to 7. Listen to the word of God. Jesus says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body. And after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast both soul and body into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are of more value than many sparrows. That's our passage today. We're calling it Fearfully Fearless. This passage is my son's favorite passage. Haddon loves this passage. And I asked him why. Why is this passage his favorite passage? And he told me it's because it helped him get over some fears that he had in his life. So my son loves this passage. But are any of you scared by certain things? And, and actually, here's another question. Do you like to be scared a little bit? Does part of you like a little bit of fear? That's saying no. But here, follow my train of thought here. There exists a multi-billion dollar industry in Hollywood centered around the making of scary movies. Am I right? Multi-billion dollar industry. And I believe this wouldn't exist if people didn't enjoy being scared. But why do we enjoy being scared at all? Why? We seem to have a complex relationship with fear. A dangling spider in front of our face can send us flying across the room waving our hands ferociously like a, like a ninja, right? Everyone ever do that when the cobweb gets in your face? But we'll drop down $10 to let Hollywood scare the living daylights out of us. Why? Do we enjoy fear or not? Today we're going to try to figure out what a proper relationship with fear looks like, especially as it pertains to our walk with Jesus Christ. Now Jesus spoke a lot about fear. He did. Most often he used the phrase, fear not. But Jesus spoke a lot about fear. And this passage today is the most famous passage about fear in the Bible. But it's also one of the most challenging passages to sort out because Jesus basically says this, Do not fear, fear him, and fear not in the same passage. Do not fear, fear him, and fear not. And we're going to try to sort that out today. But you would imagine that Jesus, since Jesus is the Son of God, he's God incarnate, God upon the earth, that people would have always feared the Lord, correct? That's what you would have assumed. I mean, he is the Son of God. He had full authority to destroy anybody that crossed him in a moment. People must have walked around, walked around Jesus on eggshells, being so careful to not offend him or accidentally mistreat our Lord. And certainly... Nobody would purposefully offend our Lord Jesus Christ, right? That would be a death warrant. But that's not what happened at all. Most people did not fear the Lord and feared everything else. And so like he often did, Jesus came to correct our wayward thinking. And so he says on this occasion, this is our thesis statement today, he says, I tell you, my friends... Do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. 
Do you see the compassion in that verse? I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. Don't be afraid, he's saying. Do not be afraid. Now, my two-year-old son, I think I mentioned this before, is terrified of thunderstorms. Marcus is terrified of thunderstorms. Hates them. And he's usually a very brave kid, isn't he? Very brave. Some, not a lot of things scare Marcus, but he's terrified of thunderstorms. And so when there's a thunderclap, my son will sprint into my arms for protection. He's so terrified of thunderstorms. And like a good dad, I usually say something like this. Toughen up, you weenie. <laughs> no, I don't say that. I tuck him in my arms and I tell him it's going to be okay. The storm is not going to hurt him. And this is the spirit of what Jesus is saying to his followers. You don't have any need to be fearful. You don't need to be scared. But what is it that Jesus tells us we don't need to be fearful of? Notice what he says. Do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. Does that sound perplexing to you? Do not fear those who can kill the body. Now, in my illustration with my son, I tell my son to not be scared of the thunderstorm because he's inside. He's safe from the thunder, safe from the lightning. I don't say to my son, don't be scared, son. All the storm can do is kill you. Sure, you'll be dead, but you'll be fine. That's not what I say to my son. I tell him he's going to be okay. The storm's not going to hurt him. But notice what Jesus says. Don't fear those who can kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. Nothing more? Nothing more? Jesus, that's everything. Nothing more. There is nothing to do beyond kill the body. Losing our lives is the worst thing that could ever happen, is it not? And Jesus is telling us to not fear those who can kill our bodies. Does that sound impossible? In fact, I want to pause right now and think of the most common phobias. This isn't a joke. These are actual things, actual phobias that people have. And the root of what makes them phobias, okay? Here's some common phobias that a lot of people have, and we're gonna work through these. Notice one common denominator with all of them, okay? Number one is the fear of heights. Fear of heights, maybe some of you have that or had that in the past, and that the root of people's fear of heights is that the fact that they might fall to their death. That's why people fear heights, they might fall and, and die. How about the fear of snakes or spiders? Is a picture of a snake up there. Anybody have that fear? I hate snakes hate snakes. We were talking about snakes the other day. I don't like snakes. I'm a little scared of snakes. But the reason people are afraid of snakes or spiders beyond the fact that they're just creepy looking and you don't want them around you is because they might inject poison into you. You might get bit and they might kill you. Here's the fear of dark. The fear of dark is what a lot of children have. Some adults have this as well. The fear of dark is because of something maybe hiding in the dark that might try to kill us. We have a really uh, dark road. We live on a, a dark road, and when it's pitch black on that road and I have to take the garbage out, it's a little terrifying. And sometimes as a kid, I would, I would like basically goat my brother into walking down the road by himself. He never did. I always wanted him to do it because it was pitch black. Terrifying, <laughs> wondering what or who could be in the woods trying to jump out at you. But the fear of the dark is that something is hiding in the dark that might try to kill us. Here's the fear of flying. The fear of flying, some people have this, is because the airplane might crash and they might die. Here's one that's really prevalent today is the fear of germs. The fear of germs. We might catch a nasty disease that can kill us. Do you notice a common denominator following all these fears? Death, 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 death. 
Here's another one that I, I'm a little perplexed by, but I've had this in myself in the past, is the fear of public speaking. Now, the only way, only way I can see a common denominator in this one is that we might embarrass ourselves so much, we might try to kill ourselves, right? <laughs> you might do something up front that just truly embarrasses you. But notice the common denominator in all those fears. Death, 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 death. The fear of death in its many forms is really at the root of all of those fears. And Jesus is commanding us today to not fear death. And this seems ludicrous to us because our lives are the most valuable thing we have. If we lose our lives, we lose everything. How can we not fear losing everything, Jesus? And this is where we encounter the primary problem that most fears have. The foundation for most fears is wrong. It really is. The fear of death is often our worst fear because we believe our lives on earth are the most valuable thing that we have. But according to Jesus, we're wrong. We're wrong. It's not the most valuable thing we have. And he's going to remind us why. Now we typically, I've noticed this, we typically always fear the worst case scenario, right? We fear spiders because we think spiders could be poisonous and they could kill us. We fear of heights because we will fall to our death. We fear flying because something will go wrong with the engine and the plane will crash into a mountain. We always fear the worst case scenario. If we didn't fear the worst case scenario, we are typically not scared of that thing. And I'll give you an example, okay? Some people don't fear roller coasters. Anyone love roller coasters? Would anyone go on any roller coaster there is? Chris, have you ever been terrified of roller coasters? You'll do any roller coaster out there? Okay. What's that? Wow. Okay. Good to know. All right. Um, Suicide what? Coaster. Okay, that's see. Go so fast as the leap of faith, suicide. Those are all terms to get you to second guess that that ride. There's really no nuance there, is it? You're going to die. You're just going to die. Fear of uh, the leap of faith, maybe you won't die, but suicide, you're just going to die. But most, some people aren't afraid of roller coasters because they're focused upon the thrill of the ride. Now, this particular roller coaster on the screen, I've been on. It's called Millennial Force in Cedar Point. It's one of the highest. I don't know if it's the highest in, this, in the United States. And it's a really fun ride. Now, I like some roller coasters, and I, like, I don't like others. I don't like the ones that take you upside down, and I don't like the wooden ones. Those always make me feel like I'm in a car accident. Those aren't good. But I do like some roller coasters. But some people are terrified of roller coasters. A lot of children, my children definitely would be, but a lot of people are terrified of roller coasters because they expect the worst to happen, right? Either the harness will come loose and they'll fly across the park or the roller coaster will derail and then will smash into the ground. So it all depends. It all depends on what the worst case scenario is in your mind. But no matter what we fear, we fear that thing because we think it can threaten our lives and we have nothing more valuable to us than our earthly lives. But what if we do? What if we do have something more valuable than our lives? This is what we're going to call the crux today, the crux of what Jesus says. He says this, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Isn't that interesting? 
Recall that we always typically fear the scariest thing imaginable, the worst case scenario. For us to not fear losing our earthly lives, there has to be something even scarier than that. And Jesus is telling us today there is. There is. And I will say this, okay? Stay with us for the sermon. This is a strategy Jesus is using today, okay? This is not the point of what he's going to say. But it's a strategy that he's using today to help us understand what fear should have in our lives. But you see, all people have souls. Every single person upon the earth, no matter how good or bad, has a soul. And our souls are us entirely. Did you know that? When you talk about your soul, you're talking about your entire self. Our souls, by God's very design, were created to live forever. Did you know that? When your soul is created, it's designed and created to live forever. Conversely, our bodies were created to temporarily house our souls upon the earth. But our souls were created to live for all eternity. So based on simple mathematics, would it be worse to lose your earthly body or your eternal soul? Notice what Jesus is saying. That's an easy one, isn't it? It would be much worse to lose what is eternal versus what is temporary, correct? If I lose something eternal, I lose something great and immense. If I lose something temporary, okay, not a huge deal. Therefore, there is something more valuable, much more valuable than our earthly lives, and it is our souls. We are all guaranteed to lose our earthly lives. No matter how rich, no matter how successful you are upon the earth, everyone is going to lose their body in this life. It's a reality of living in a sin-cursed world. So loss of life, loss of your body, is not unique. It's common to everybody. People have said there's two sure things in life, right? Death and taxes. You ever heard that? But death is common. It's not unique. If we lose our bodies, we are like every single person upon the earth. But if we lose our souls, we truly lose everything. And again, we're typically always scared of the worst-case scenario. But Jesus is reminding us today that there's a greater thing to be fearful of than losing our earthly body, the body that we're guaranteed to lose one day anyways. And so he's seeking to give us a proper perspective. That's what Jesus is seeking to do. Give us the proper perspective. Now, I'm going to share a story with you that I've read two or three years ago. So some of you have heard it, some of you have never heard it. But it's about having the proper perspective about fear. And it's called The Encounter. It's a short story, okay? But listen to the story and notice the perspective that we're supposed to have, okay? There was a man who was deathly afraid of spiders. Anyone really scared of spiders? My wife is. My sisters-in-law are very scared of spiders. There was a man who was deathly afraid of spiders. During the events of one specific night, on a camping trip with his friends, his arachnophobia was cured in an instant. The three men had purchased three tents for their week-long campy trip in the woods, and the trip had gone smoothly with no hiccups until the night before they were supposed to leave for home. The campfire they had used for that night for playing cards was just about burned out, and so the man and his two friends decided to head back to their tents for their final night's sleep. As the man entered his tent for the night, he did his usual routine of reading his book for a half hour by flashlight before he went to sleep. Just as he went to put his book away and get into his sleeping bag for the night, he saw the worst sight he could have ever imagined. Creeping slowly into his tent was the biggest spider he had ever laid eyes on. He placed the light from his flashlight right onto the spider, and this was not the ordinary daddy long legs or house spider. 
this spider had clearly visible fangs. I hope I'm not terrifying any of you right now. There is a good ending, so stay with us. The spider had clearly visible fangs. It was hairy and dark, and when it walked, it moved, its le it moved every leg individually. The spider crept closer and closer toward the man. The man couldn't move. They tell you in a moment of danger that fight or flight will kick in, but this man was paralyzed with fear. Even if he wanted to run, the spider was directly in front of the only entrance to his tent. The massive spider appeared to have lunch on his mind, the human flesh kind. The moment the man had dreaded his entire life was here. His many nightmares had come true. He had spent his entire life avoiding spiders. How could he be so stupid as to go camping in the woods? He thought he was surely doomed. He was convinced the spider was going to bite him and inject venom into him. It would probably be the worst pain he had ever felt in his life. He would eventually black out and die right there in his tent. The man began to inch closer and closer away from the spider until he was pinned against the back side of his tent. Time slowed down and almost seemed to stop. The spider was not deviating. It crept closer and closer, and with every movement, the spider appeared to be bigger and more terrifying than it was before. The end was near. The man was surely going to die. Just then he heard a sound. Do spiders make noise, he thought. This sound was like a low rumble or a growl. It wasn't coming from the spider, of course. The man listened closely. The sound was behind him. It grew nearer and nearer. It indeed was a growl. The earth around him began to shake. The light of his flashlight was fixed upon the spider, and suddenly a shadow began to grow behind him. The massive towering shadow enveloped his tent. The growl he heard was now unmistakable. It was a bear. A very large bear. The man then remembered that he had his backpack open in his tent, and he was snacking while he read, and the bear must have picked up the scent. The bear was now right behind him. He felt the claws of the bear as the bear groped around for a way into his tent. Suddenly, the bear began to grab and shake his tent and let out a truly awful growl. The man leapt to his feet and ran as fast as he could toward the entrance of the tent. As he ran, he shouted for his two friends to flee also. The scene was chaotic, but as he ran, he shouted, excuse me, as he ran, his friends caught up with him in the woods. They sprinted to the parking lot and rushed into the car and quickly locked the doors. They peeled out so fast that the sound of rubber hitting the pavement screeched loudly. As they drove away, they looked back towards their tents. The bear had made its way into the man's tent, and the tent was now completely destroyed. They had narrowly escaped a frenzied bear attack. The man breathed for the first time in several moments. He was safe. But suddenly he remembered the spider. Where was it? He had gotten so concerned about the bear, he had forgotten all about the spider. Terror immediately filled his heart again. What if it had bit him and he didn't notice? He nervously began to search his body. But gladly he found no bite marks of the spider anywhere. In relief, the man took another deep breath. As they drove towards home, the men all started to talk and laugh even a little bit about their narrow escape from the bear. But the man, not wanting to needlessly embarrass himself, kept his little incident with the spider to himself. As the men arrived home, the man noticed he wasn't even wearing his boots anymore. In his panic, he had left everything in his tent. As he went to take his socks off, he noticed something alarming. The bottom of his left sock was covered in spider guts. Little hairs and legs and some sort of spider goo 
was all over his sock. Now normally a sight like that would have made his heart jump and he would have tossed the sock so far from him he never would have found it again. But he didn't this time. He just stared at his sock and began to laugh. He thought about the scene he had endured. Only moments before the bear came, the man could only think about his fear of the spider. The bear had actually done him a huge favor that night. The bear had caused such a panic in this man's heart that he, as he fled the bear, he also trampled the massive spider to death. And not only did the spider not harm him, but his phobia was gone, or now it was replaced. He was now deathly afraid of bears. From that point on, every time the man encountered a spider, he chuckled a little bit and remembered the bear. Spiders didn't bother him anymore. He would just calmly grab them with a tissue and discard them outside. Yet the man moved far away from bear country and never went camping again. <laughs> the moral of the story is plainly obvious. In a battle between a spider and a bear, kill the spider and flee the bear. The man's perspective was forever changed. On a side note, if you can imagine the spider's viewpoint that night, could anything be more terrifying than a large human fleeing from a bear in your direction. There's a little cute story about perspective, about having the right and proper fear. This is what Jesus is doing today, okay, guys? Let's be clear today. Losing our souls is what we should be most fearful of, not our earthly lives or bodies, correct? But here's a question. Should we be fearful of losing our souls? Should we be fearful of losing our souls? And the answer to that question is quite simple. Yes. Yes. And no. And we'll explain. Jesus says this, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Of course we are to fear God. Did you know that? It's all over the scriptures. And it should be even logical. God is the creator and the sustainer of our lives. And we, every one of us, rebelled against that God and chased our sinful desires instead. We all thumbed our nose to the Almighty. Now, using our bear analogy, imagine if you were in the woods, but uh, this time you're around a bear, but the bear isn't hungry, okay? You're around a bear, but the bear is minding its own business. But it's a mama bear, and it has some cubs with it. And you decide, in a moment of stupidity, to go over and mess with the mama's bear's cubs. Kick and slap them around a bit. Is that dumb? Is that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? Do you think we should be nervous about how that mommy bear is going to react towards us? Would duh be an insensitive thing to say? Guys, God is the almighty God. And we turned our backs on him and against his will, and we gave our lives to the thing that he hates the most, and it's sin. We made the Almighty angry with us. And Jesus is saying to us today, you are fearing the wrong things. You should fear God, only God. See, man can take your life and kill your body, but God can kill both soul and body in hell. Man is therefore nothing to fear. The absolute, worst the, thing, the absolute worst thing a man can do is take away your temporary life upon the earth, which is going to happen one day anyways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul compared our earthly lives to tents. Has anyone ever stayed in a tent in a camping excursion? Yeah. 
Tents are fun, right? And Paul said this about our earthly lives. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, we know that if this tent that is our earthly body is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, tents are fine for a weekend camping excursion, right? But if you live in a tent, we call you homeless. Because most of us have homes, nice, comfortable homes to live in. And if someone came to us and threatened to destroy our tent, we are not that concerned or worried because we have a nice, comfortable home to live in. And that's exactly what Jesus is drawing out here today. Man is to not be feared because the worst harm they can do is minimal and temporary. They can ruin your tent. The body that houses your soul. But God is to be feared because the harm he can inflict is ultimate and eternal. He could destroy our souls in hell, making God's wrath the worst case scenario, not earthly death. Earthly death is common. God's wrath is not common. The fear of God also is all over the scriptures. I just want to run through a few of them very quickly. I want you to notice that the fear of God is all over your Bible. If you read your Bible, you will notice the fear of God everywhere. Let me give you some examples. In Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 14.26-27 says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. And whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Psalm 24, 14 says, The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. Proverbs 8, 13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. In Philippians 2, the passage TGD read for us says, Therefore, my beloved, excuse me, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And that is a sampling, a small sampling of the fear of God. Did you know the fear of God is mentioned over 300 times in Scripture? 300 times. Every single person who lives upon the earth, most notably those who claim to love God, are to fear God. Scripture screams it at us. And it should be logical. And I'm sure, like me, you've heard someone say before that fearing the Lord is merely showing him the proper reverence and respect that he deserves. I've heard many people say that before. And I'm going to say we most definitely should show God the reverence and the respect he deserves, but unfortunately that does not go far enough. Not even close. Fearing God is also fearing God. And we will explain that. If you and I are terrified of heights, darkness, spiders, snakes, flying, or even public speaking, so much so that our hands tremble at the very thought of it, God deserves so much more trembling. Did you know even the demons tremble at God? James 2.19, it says, You believe God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble or shudder. Trembling before God is obvious. It's obvious for anyone who knows God. 
All the earthly phobias that we mentioned can only, at the worst case scenario, kill our bodies, ruin our tents, destroy our temporary existence upon the earth. But God can destroy both soul and body in hell for all eternity. And this leads us to lesson number one today. We are to fear God and nothing else. We are to fear God and nothing else. And I'm going to say, and I've said this before, that besides the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, I believe wholeheartedly that the fear of God is the single greatest blessing ever given to mankind from God for two profound reasons. Okay? Here is why the fear of God is a gift to mankind. Number one, the fear of God keeps us from sin. If you have the proper fear of God, it will keep you from sin. Now let's work through the train of logic here, okay? Sin is the thing that can keep us from inheriting the kingdom of God. But if we fear God, we will stay away from sin. We will stay near the Lord Jesus because God hates sin. And if we stay away from sin and we stay near Jesus, we will be safe for all eternity. Do you notice the gift that fear can give us? Fear can keep us from sin. Fear can keep us near Jesus. Fear can keep us on the path to eternal life. The fear of God is a gift. Here's another reason why the fear of God is a gift. The fear of God chases away every other fear. Like the bear and the spider. <laughs> if you and I have the fear of God, ironically, we're safe. If we have the fear of God, that's what Proverbs said, we're safe. The fear of God will make us confident against the cheaper, smaller fears of this life. And this life that you and I live in upon this world is full of insecurities, isn't it? It seems like the insecurities are getting worse in this world. The fear of God can make you confident and bold in the face of lesser fears. The fear of God can actually make you courageous. Courageous. The Apostle Paul, that we love and talk about often, seemed fearless. I mean, I read the Bible, and the Apostle Paul seemed absolutely fearless. He would go anywhere. He would do anything in the name and the glory of God. Oftentimes, they said, his own peers, other Christians, pleaded with Paul to not go to Jerusalem. Because in Jerusalem, there was the greatest persecution. Paul went directly head-on into Jerusalem, knowing that he would be persecuted. He was fearless. And the question is, is how? How was Paul fearless? And I believe Paul had the fear of God more than any other fear. And that fear chased away every other fear that he had. His greatest fear was displeasing his God, therefore making every other fear null and void. See, the fear of God, if we could see it properly, is the gift of gifts. It was given to us, number one, to flee to Jesus for cleansing and safety because if we don't flee to Jesus for cleansing and safety, we're doomed. The fear of God will let us see Jesus. Number two, the fear of God will help us live correctly according to the will of God because God must be obeyed. And the fear of God will help us do that. Number three, the fear of God will help us live confidently and courageously against the devil and his scare tactics. You don't have to be scared of the devil even. We are to fear nothing besides God. Nothing. How did King David, when he was a shepherd, run head on into the fight with Goliath? A man probably three times his size. I believe because David had the fear of God on his team. God was on his team. He ran to Goliath with God on his team. 
He ran away from displeasing his God. And he ran toward the giant. We desperately need to have the fear of God in our lives. Desperately need to have it. If we don't have the fear of God, we will never truly see the need for Jesus and his salvation. And we'll die forever. If we don't have the fear of God, we will never strive to obey the will of God and fight against sin in our lives. And we'll die forever. If we don't have the fear of God in our lives, we'll always be scared of a thousand things that can't actually hurt us. And those things will keep us from following the Lord Jesus. And we'll die forever. But fear is not the point of this passage. I repeat, fear is not the point of this passage. Thankfully, our Lord Jesus continues, and so will we. This is the point of what Jesus is saying today. He says in verse 6, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Notice the complexity of our God and his word. Right after Jesus tells us to fear God because he's the Almighty and he could destroy us, he tells us how much God loves us. Isn't that a seemingly strange pivot by Jesus? But the point of what Jesus is saying today is that we should fear God and nothing else. See, back in the day, sparrows, the bird, just like you're thinking, sparrows were sold to the meat for poor. Okay? And although sparrows didn't provide much meat, you could get five of them for two pennies. Essentially an entire meal's worth for two pennies. But the value of sparrows was next to nothing. I mean, the poor could afford the sparrows. But Jesus wants us to know that although man thinks nothing of sparrows, anyone think about sparrows this week? I didn't. You, you thought about the sparrows. Okay. I never thought about the sparrows until I prepared this lesson. But God, our God, our creator, Father God, the almighty God, thinks about the sparrows. Not one single sparrow is forgotten by God. Think about that. Not one sparrow is neglected or forgotten about. He considers every sparrow upon the earth. God loves his creation. He loves the sparrows. And Jesus is saying to us, we are of exponentially greater value to God than dozens, hundreds of sparrows. He cannot forget, us, forget about us even for one moment of the day because God has invested so much into us. Let me give you two things that the God has done, okay? To know how much he has invested in you, you, Sitting here today, number one, he created us in his image. No other part of creation was created in God's image, but mankind was created in the image of God, making us the apple of God's eye. We are far and above every other part of creation because we were made in his image. That's what scripture speaks. So he's invested in us. Number two is even more, even further he spilled the blood of his son in order to redeem us when we went away against him. We are so wonderfully loved by God. Do you know that? So wonderfully loved. We can never properly comprehend the depths of God's love towards us. He created us in his image, and when we went away and astray, God spilled the blood of his only begotten son to redeem us back to himself. Do you see how much investment God has in his people 
And there are more than that. I just wanted to give you two examples. And then Jesus says this. He says that the very hairs of our head are all numbered. The Lord knows and numbers all the hairs on our head. Now, yes, that's easier for some people than others, um, depending on how much hair you have. No jokes. No jokes, people. But think about that. The hair on our head are numbered. We sometimes wonder if God is mindful of us and our needs at all. Maybe he's forgotten about us altogether. And Jesus says, oh, child, if you only knew how much care your God has for you, you would be astounded at the depths of love God has for his children, his people. His love for us is unsearchable. It's unsearchable. Do you know the number of hairs on your own head? Does anyone? I counted mine the other day. I have 28 left. I'm teasing. Even I probably have a few thousand hairs left on my head, and I never count them except for the ones I find in the shower. Um, but the average person, do you know the average person has over 100,000 hairs on their head? And if we believe Jesus, God knows and numbers every single one of them. Wow. But why is Jesus telling us this? Because the point of this passage is not for us to be constantly trembling at anything, even God. Did you know that? The point in lesson number two as we close today is this. To be fearfully fearless. To be fearfully fearless. We should have only one single fear, and that is the fear of God. Every other fear is trite and insignificant, like the threat of someone destroying your tent when you have a nice, comfortable, eternal home to live in. But the fear of God is so important for our lives as Christians. If we don't have the proper fear of God, we will trifle with sin. We will play around with sin. We will take Jesus for granted. And we will have all sorts of fears and insecurities in this life. And those are all things that God detests. But if we have the fear of God, we will love Jesus. We will avoid the sin that condemns us. We will be courageous and brave in this life for the will of God. All things that God desires. And the fear of God is the catalyst. And I will say this, and I will stress this today. There is time for trembling before God in the Christian life. There is. There are times that you should tremble before your God in the Christian life. Let me give you a few examples. Okay, Number one, when you and I are tempted to sin, tempted to break God's law, tempted to do something that God says, I hate, I detest it, we should tremble lest we offend God and disobey his will because God hates sin. He hates it. He hates sin. Here's number two. When we hurt and harm God's people, we should tremble before God because God will not stand idly by while we hurt those who he created and sent his son to die for. He will not stand by. God hates when we hurt his people. We should tremble lest we ever do that. Number three, we should tremble if we ever decide to abandon Jesus Christ for something easier. Because without Jesus, we are utterly, entirely, and eternally doomed. We should tremble lest we trifle with Jesus and his salvation. That's what God hates the most. But constant trembling is not the point of the Christian life because God's enormous love for us is a reality. Take a look later in the same chapter. Do you have your Bibles? I don't have this one on the screen, so just bump your eyes down to verse 22 of Luke chapter 12. The same chapter. Notice Jesus' language in verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food 
and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? In which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you were not able to do such a small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If it's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, won't he give you everything else smaller that you need for this life as well? Fear not, little flock. See, the Lord is not looking to increase our fears today. That's not the point. He's seeking to calm our fears by making sure we have the proper fear, the fear of God. Because as we stated before, if we have a proper fear of God, we will run to Jesus and we will never leave him. If we fear God, Jesus will become crucial to our lives. Number two, it will cause us to fight sin and Satan to the death or will found to be against God on the last day. It will actually bolster our strength and our resolve to fight sin and Satan because we'd rather fight sin and Satan than fight God, correct? I'd rather fight the spider than the bear. Number three, it will cause us to stand courageously before our earthly fears and overcome them for the will and the glory of God. That's what makes people courageous. That's what makes people bold and confident, the fear of God. So how are we supposed to apply this passage today? Here's our application today, and it's very simple. It's something we've already stated. Number one, fear God. Fear God. No matter what your relationship is with Jesus Christ, we're all supposed to have a healthy fear of God. If there's any unbelievers here today, you're in grave danger today. If you're not in Jesus Christ, you're in your sins, and God detests sin. And one day, God's going to destroy all that is sinful. If you remain sinful, you are doomed. To understand God's hatred for sin, we need to only look to the cross of Jesus. When his only son stepped into the place of the sinner on the cross, he was destroyed. Jesus came to this earth to step in our place so we don't have to face the wrath of God against sin because God is going to destroy all that is sinful. But we don't have to remain sinful. We don't have to remain sinful. Jesus came to save us from our sin, to forgive us all our sins. We must only believe who he is and what he came to do for us, and we will be saved. It's that simple. Fear God and turn to Jesus if you haven't already. To the believers, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you too must fear God, lest we think we can trifle with sin and get away with it. There's a false doctrine that is circulating in our Christian circles, and it's the worst false doctrine I've ever encountered. It claims that unbelievers have to pay for their sins, but Christians can get away with it. It's a wretched, horrible doctrine. It's not true. It's false. Every single person, including Christians, cannot flirt with sin. 
Sin is deadly. Sin is dangerous. We are saved from our sin. We are not given a free pass to sin. We are saved from our sin. We are called into a righteous, obedient lifestyle, or we're not saved at all. No one who continues in sin is going to heaven. I'll, re I'll repeat that. No one who continues in sin is going to heaven. Now, yes, we will battle sin in this life, and we will slip and fall along our journey. But if we continue in sin as we did before, we will be damned with the unbelievers because that's what unbelief looks like. Fear God lest you sin, lest you be okay with sin. God is not okay with sin. Number two, fear nothing else. Fear nothing else. The point of this passage is actually to dispel any fear we have besides the fear of God. And even the fear of God is to be balanced with the love of God. God wants his people to be courageous soldiers for the kingdom of God. And the fear and the insecurities of this life, and they're getting worse, everybody, will help us do the very opposite. Fears and insecurities will keep us from obeying the will of God because of all the what-ifs, all the worst-case scenarios that the devil loves to flood our minds with. They will distract us and deter us from God's glory and God's kingdom, and they'll get us to focus upon our earthly tents. If we know that God loves us more than many sparrows, and we know that he numbers the very hairs of our head, and we know that he sent his son to die for us on the cross, then we will begin believing that we are safe in the arms of God. If you're in the arms of God, if you have the fear of God, nothing can harm you. Nothing can harm you. The only things that can harm us are, number one, what is good for us, a part of God's plan to help us invest in the kingdom. We will, faint pain. we will face pain and difficulties in this life, but it's all for our good to help us invest in the kingdom of God. Number two, the only thing that can hurt us is the harm we bring upon ourselves by making sinful choices in this life. But nothing else, insert anything you want, can harm us if we have the fear of God and the love of God. And the point of this lesson today is to be fearfully fearless. Being fearfully fearless. Number one, being fearful of God in the proper way that will help us fight sin and stay very near Jesus. I love that picture. My dad has that. Is that the exact painting you have in your office of Daniel in the lion's den? And we don't know exactly what that looked like, but I love that picture because it kind of reveals to us exactly what's going on. Daniel feared God and not the lion's. He was thrown into the lion's den, and he wasn't scared of the lions because he feared God and knew God could protect him. The point of this lesson is to be fearfully fearless, being fearless in the sense where we believe we have nothing to fear. Nothing can harm us. If we fear God, we fear nothing else. And it's all over Scripture. So this day, we can be courageous. We can be brave in accomplishing bold things for the glory and kingdom of God because God loves us. God is on our team, and the only thing we can fear is leaving our God. So let's get to it. Let's stay near Jesus, number one. Stay very near the refuge. Stay near Jesus. For everything that is in your life, stay near Jesus. Number two, fight sin and devil to the death with boldness and courage because the devil is nothing to you. Nothing. You could stand up to him today. You could fight him today. He will lose if you stand up with the fear and the love of God against him. Number three, have peace in your soul. <laughs> that the Almighty God is on your team. And we are promised we're going to win this battle against Satan with 
the help of our Lord Jesus. Fear the Lord and do bold things for his glory and his kingdom. Obey the will of God at all costs. Fear God and nothing else. Are you ready to be fearfully fearless? Let's pray. Father, I know this is a lot and it's heavy, but it's helpful. And I pray even if we need to re-listen to this, Father, and re-look at this passage, I pray that we would because it's so important. You're trying to give us the key that unlocks all the confidence and boldness in this life. If we have the proper fear, every other fear will be nothing. Father, help us to fear God. Help us to see who he is, what he, what he is, what he hates, what he loves, and to fear God and to follow his ways through Jesus. And Father, help us to fear nothing else, nothing else, because nothing in this life can actually harm us. It's a scare tactic by the devil. The worst it can do is knock our tent down, and we have a home in the heavens to live in with Jesus forever. Help us to be bold and courageous in this life for the glory, for the kingdom, and the will of God. I pray that this would change our lives today. We would live confidently and boldly for your will, for your kingdom. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.